Amen. Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. Let me ask you a question. How many of you were excited about coming here this morning? Anybody? That's awesome. Well, y'all get the gold star. Y'all did a little bit better than the uh, first service did, but they were excited too. It's good to see you here this morning. So excited about uh, so many things that are happening around here. I, I tell you, it seems that uh, there's just so many people are, are really encouraged, and, and there just seems to be a lot of buzz around these days. Uh, this week, I was talking to a to a, a fellow uh, one morning, and, and as we were talking, he goes, I can just feel the coolness in the air. And I, I, I thought about it for a moment, and I said, you know what, I, I, I believe you're right. I could feel the coolness in the air for like five minutes, and then it was gone, okay? Especially after yesterday. Yesterday was a, a scorcher, but, but, uh, but I tell you, we were excited about just being up early enough to feel that little bit of coolness. And, and then two... Uh, college football is just around the corner. How many of you excited about that? Anybody? Uh, yeah. Uh, forget the heat. Let's talk football, right? So uh, I, I tell you, it's, uh, it's exciting to think about that. But I'll tell you what I'm most excited about this morning is the reality that God is still at work in the life of our church. Amen? Can we just praise Jesus this morning together as a faith family? Just worship Him. I tell you, He, he is so good and and God's at work. Uh, I've also gotten a lot of um, uh, great feedback just from our sermon series and, and what we've been walking through there, uh, a series titled Welcome to Our Church. And, and we started off talking about what it means to be a Christ-centered church. And that is the, that is the foundation of everything right there. Uh, <laughs> uh, happy camper. No. Uh, but uh, Christ-centered church, uh, that, is, that is the foundation of it all right there, right? And so uh, that's where we start. That's the launching pad. And then also we talked about last week what it means to be a gospel-centered church. And the, the statement that I, I mentioned and I really believe is this, is that any Christ-centered church must be a gospel-centered church. Amen? And so we have to be intentional about carrying the gospel message to the world and, and all those around us to our communities that others may know. Jesus. And so that's where we started out, and that's where we're going to kind of continue from this morning. I'm excited about the message. We'll be talking a little bit about unity, and so let's pray, and then we're going to ask God to just meet us in this place, and we'll dive into his word. So pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this amazing opportunity we've had of just collectively gathering in this place to worship you in spirit and truth. And Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your presence with us. And God, we, we just uh, absolutely adore you and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was willing to go to the cross to die for our sins, for the atonement of our sins. And so, Father, we, we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place this morning and read your word and hear from you, God, as you speak into our hearts Lord, I pray that we would place aside every distraction that's in our life right now and that, Lord, our attention would be on you because, God, you are so worthy of all the praise, honor, and glory that we could offer this morning. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. Be with us now as we dive into your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, the, the message is titled, We Are In This Together. And, and there's a lot of intentionality that went into this title. It wasn't just something that we just sort of kind of came about. It's, it's really the heartbeat of the church. One of our core values here is unity. And we really fight hard. I know as a staff and as leadership, we really guard ourselves against any sort of disunity in the body because we know that it begins, if it begins at the top, it can easily spread 
out. And so we, we really guard against that. And so we are in this thing together. We are in this together is, is really a belief that we've had since the very beginning of our church almost 10 years ago when we launched this, this new work. But uh, today I want to talk about what it means to be in this together. This past weekend, I had the opportunity to leave and go over to Statesboro, my hometown, and visit with my dad. And many of you know the situation with my dad. He's 83 years old, and he's been battling cancer for a while. But my dad is a guy that doesn't really say a lot. He, he's a man of, of very few words. And, 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 and my typical visit with him would be one where I, I, I go up there, and I, and I say, hey, dad, when I arrive, I say, hey, dad. And and he says, hey, son, and then I could literally go the rest of the weekend until I got ready to leave and say, okay, Dad, it's been a great visit without saying anything. I mean, he's just, that, he's just a man of such few words. We don't really have to talk when we're around each other. But anyway, I was spending time with him, and I was thinking of something that I could really just sort of say to get a conversation started, really. And I, and I looked at him, and I said, Dad, I said, do you have any pictures from when you served in the Army? I don't know why I thought of that. It's just something that was in my mind at the time. And I said, do you, do you have any pictures of that? I knew I'd seen some at one time. And he looked at me and said, well, I think your sister, uh, I think she has all those pictures. And then all of a sudden, he got up out of his chair and he headed off to his little, his little man cave that he's had for so many years. And, and as he headed over there, I, I knew that what that meant to me was get up and follow him. I mean, he doesn't say, come on, son, I'll go show you. We'll walk down memory lane. He doesn't say that. But he just headed back there. And so I got up and I... I went back there with him because I knew he had something on his mind. And we got back there, and he, he, he started pulling out these photo albums. And I, I, I don't even know that I've ever seen these photo albums. But he had photo albums, and he had all this stuff that was part of the history of his life. And he began to, he began to open them up, and he, he started showing me pictures. And some of these pictures were like taken back when they had dinosaurs still walking the earth. I mean, they were, they were like these old barns. And he said, this was your great, great, great granddaddy's place. And this was the day after they invented cameras, and they took this picture. And, you know, sort of things like that. And he, he was showing me all these pictures, and it was so neat because it was full of history. And he was just, he was just sharing this with me. And I, I, I tell you, it was one of the most special moments of my life with my dad. I, I, just, I just wanted to sit there all night and just hear these stories. And he, he, he went, started walking through, going uh, through school, and he eventually got to where he was in the Army, and he started pulling out all these patches and medals that he'd gotten in the Army. I didn't even know he had these things. And so he, he's sharing all this history with me. And suddenly it just dawned on me that the thing that made this so special for him, the reason he got up and he went in there to share this with me is because he valued family so much. He valued those memories, and he had held on to all of that. And now he was sharing them with me because he wanted me to know the history of his life and all these things that he had never even told me. He was telling me these, these stories of his life that I'd never heard ever. And so he was sharing all this with me because he, he valued what it meant to be a family and to just be able to carry that on for future generations. And he was, he was giving me a lot of this stuff. Here, take it with you. You, you know, it's, it's your time to own this kind of stuff. You know? And I remember just thinking, man, that is awesome. I also remember thinking as I was headed back home of how that should be important to us. Because we're in this together. We are a faith family, and I know we say that from the pulpit a lot. I know that a lot of times we mention the, the fact that we're a faith family, but what does it mean to us to be family? You know, many of us 
are, are living lives where maybe our, our real family, our blood family, is, is, is a family that we're not really close to. I know I have brothers and sisters that I'm not really close to, and it's just, you know, we're all kind of living our own lives these days. But what I do have is I have a family of God. I have a family that, that I love dearly, and you're sitting here this morning, and I just think it's so wonderful that we can be a faith family that God has brought together and that we can be a part of something much greater than ourselves together in this. And so I just, I, I, this morning, I want to talk about what it means to be in this thing together. We are in this together. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Philippians chapter 2. Paul's writing to the church that meets in Philippi. And so as he's writing this letter, he is, he is writing to a local gathering of believers, of followers of Christ, and he's writing to them. And one of the things that we know in reading this letter is that the Apostle Paul is very much, uh, he, he loves and cares for this group of people dearly. And, and what we also see in the scripture is that he lo- they love him as well. There's a, there's a real unique relationship with this church that maybe he doesn't have with some of the other churches. And we begin to see this and we begin to really understand that this is a church, this is a local body that sort of sees him as family and he sees them as family. And, 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 they, and you begin to realize that they're, they're in this thing together. But what we see in this passage today that's really incredible to me is the reality that Paul is, ex- he, he's sort of reminding them to stay unified. Now, some of the other churches that he wrote to, as he wrote those letters, he was dealing with disunity in the church. But in this letter, he's not necessarily dealing with disunity as much as he is just reminding them to stay firm in their togetherness, in the reality that they are, they are striving together, not only for themselves, but also for the sake of the gospel to be advanced. And so here he is really just challenging them to remember these things. But Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1 and going through verse 5. Read this with me, if you will. He starts off and he says this. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one, another, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And then he says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I love how he wraps up this text. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here's what he means by that. The Apostle Paul is basically making us a declaration that if you are in Christ Jesus, then what God has given you and the rest of us as a church is the ability to do life together in unity because of the work that Christ has done in us already. That we have this ability to live out our life, to do ministry together, to impact our communities together because Christ is the, is the common thread that unifies us, that binds us together and holds us together that we can accomplish the things of God. And so here's a very powerful passage of Scripture that he teaches. You see, what we know here is that the Apostle Paul, 
He understood how people could be loved and cared for when the church comes together. When the church comes together, we can, we can better love on people, we can better care for people. One of the things that, that we have, a ministry in our church, is called Bumper Bag Ministry. Darren's going to speak to you at the end of the service about that. And this is one way that when we come together as a church, we can feed literally thousands of people in our community who are in need and hungry. And so this is one way that we can do this, and it's very powerful for us to, to consider. Paul also understood that that the church is often strengthened when they come together. If, if, there, if there's disunity in the church, if there's division in the church, then the church becomes weak. But when the church comes together in Christ Jesus, there is strength. We all know that if you take uh, several strands of string and you weave them together and you bind them together, you have a cord. And if you take that cord and you weave them together and you bound them together, you have a very strong rope. And so this is the concept. This is the idea that the Apostle Paul is teaching us in this passage. And he also understands that a lot can be accomplished when the church comes together. And so unity seems to be that common thread that is spread all throughout the gospel, that the body of Christ would stand firm with one another, that they would come together in unity because of the work that Christ has done. And in that, we are strengthened. You know, when I was growing up, I, I, I used to love to watch really just one cartoon, and, and that was Charlie Brown. You ever see Charlie Brown? You, any of you see that? You know, the guy with the, the big head, bald, and has a dog. You know, I love that. There was, when I was growing up, there were only three cartoons. Now they got, like, so many. But I, I, the other, my other favorite was Roadrunner. But Snoopy and, and Charlie Brown were my, my favorite little cartoon. I liked that one growing up, and I remember... You know, just looking at that, and, and what you see, what's so remarkable about the Charlie Brown uh, cartoons is you see community. Really, you do. You see community there because it's not just him and his dog. It's a whole bunch of his friends, right? And they all come together, and they interact with one another. You remember some of them, I'm sure. How many of you remember Peppermint Patty? You remember Peppermint Patty? She was sort of the tomboy. She would rather play baseball than, than play with dolls. And so she would come in, and so she was different in that way. She would come up. Then you would have Pigpen. You remember Pigpen? He was the guy that everywhere he went, there was this cloud of dirt. I guess he never bathed or something. But anyway, he was just this guy, always dirty. He had dirt all over him. And everywhere he went, this cloud of dirt just kind of followed him. And so you had him. You had Schrader. You remember him? He was the creative arts guy or the musician of the bunch. He's the one that had a piano. I, I never knew a kid that carried a piano everywhere he goes. But this was Schrader. And so a lot of the music, you know, you heard on Charlie Brown was, was that music. You know, he was playing that little piano. And so you had him. And then you had Linus. You remember Linus? Linus was one of my favorites. He was a guy that was sort of dealing with some insecurities. You remember he always had that security blanket with him. He went nowhere without that security blanket. He had to have it. You just didn't take that away from him. And then you had his sister. You remember his sister's name? Lucy. Lucy was a bully. Okay, uh, she was the tough girl. She was the one that when she came in, she was sort of the bossy one. She would come in there and she would just, whatever Lucy wanted, that's what, that's what everybody did, right? So one day, Linus is sitting there, her brother, he's sitting there and he's watching television. And she comes in and she demands that he changes the channel. And immediately, Linus, you never see him do this, but he stands up to Lucy. And he says, what makes you think you can come in here and demand that this channel be changed? And she held up her hand like this, and she said, you see these five fingers? Individually, they're not much, but when I bring them together, 
It's a force to be reckoned with. And he says, what channel do you want? You know? I mean, he gave in immediately. But what's so powerful about that story to me was when he walked away. And Linus, he holds up his hand, his hand. And he looks at it and he goes, why can't you guys come together like that? You know, that's kind of the way it is in the church, isn't it? You know, when we come together, there's a force to be reckoned with. God can, can use the body to, to accomplish so much more together than he can when nobody will come together for anything. And so I love that story, and I love what the Apostle Paul is teaching us in this passage as we read through this. Unity is hugely important in the life of the church. It's hugely important. And there are two things that I want to sort of present to us this morning that I believe that the Apostle Paul is, is teaching us in this passage, two things that we need to understand. The first thing that Paul does is he, he presents to us the purpose of Christian unity. He presents to us the purpose. You know, when we think of unity, we think about coming together and not arguing, right? We think about coming together. The reality is that's not really biblical Christianity. I mean, not biblical unity or Christian unity because we all have disagreements, don't we? We're all going to disagree from time to time. But when we think of unity, we think of coming in and it's everybody just, you know, being on the same page. But I believe Christian unity is much deeper than that. I believe that the Word of God is teaching us something really remarkable about this. And, and, and here's what we see as we dive into this passage. Read with me, if you will, verse 1 and 2, and then also verse 5. We see something incredible. It says, uh, he says here, as he's writing, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any partition, uh, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, look at what he says in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and then verse 5, having this mind among yourselves, with the, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so the point that Paul is making here, I think, is one that maybe a lot of us don't really understand as we consider Christian unity and what it means. You know, the, the one mind that he's speaking of here, us coming together, is not that we don't have different opinions, not that we, we're just all following, you know, one guy who says this is the way it's going to be. But we all come together with this diversity that we have in this place. And our unity is, is created and established and supported and foundational in our belief in Jesus Christ. That he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And that he is the head of the church and we are the body. And all of these things that has to do with Christ. That's why in this series we start out with a, uh, with a series titled a Christ-centered church because if he is the hub of everything that must take place here. And what we see in this passage is that Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to be unified, be unified in this one truth, this one central theological doctrinal truth that Jesus is Lord of your life. And this is where it begins. And so he is promoting this. You know, obviously as the church, 
we consider things like the vision that God has called us to, and we have to, we have to pray through those things and, and, and be assured that God is carrying us in this direction. That's why, as a staff, we have people in the church who serve in, on a shepherding team, uh, which is the lay elders of this church, so to speak. And then we also have the servant leaders of this church who are also people who are helping us to lead. We have our life groups. We have a lot of different ways that people help us lead in this church and all of us coming together with this common belief that Jesus is the king of our life, that Jesus is the head of the church, and that Jesus is who we follow, and that through Jesus Christ, he will give us wisdom and understanding about the direction he wants us to go. So this is what Paul is speaking of here. And Paul says, man, come together because there's a great purpose in unity. I want to show you something here. I love this. Paul says in verse 2, he's writing to a church that he's very close to. And he says this. He says, says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Complete my joy. One of the things that you begin to realize when you study the life of Paul is that Paul was a man who was certainly not perfect. Paul was a man, though, who was certainly perfect redeemed by the presence of Christ in his life. He was a man who once didn't believe, but now certainly believes. And as he's living out his life, as he's living out his life, the one thing that Paul wants to do with his life is to bring glory to God. We sang about that earlier. And so Paul is living for the glory of God. Paul would write to the Corinthians, he said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so we know that Paul is very intentional about bringing glory to God. And so here he says this, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. He says to this church, if you remain unified, if you come together in Christ Jesus, if you recognize him as Lord, if you follow him as king as you and the head of the church, when you do this, he says, you bring great joy into my life. Why? Because Paul knows that this is the best way that a church can collectively come together and bring glory to God. He knows this truth and he believes in this truth and he is presenting this truth. He writes to the Romans, he says this in verse chapter 15 verse 5 and 6 he says may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the greatest way that collectively not individually but collectively you and I can bring glory to God is through our unity in Christ Jesus through our unity. My friends, there are churches all over America who assemble together week after week after week and are just as so divided, it is sickening. That's why the Apostle Paul would write to the Philippians and say, stay together. Stay together. Work together because the purpose is much greater then maybe you imagine the purpose is to bring glory to God. Here's the second thing that that I want to point out to us this morning. The second thing that Paul does is he offers instructions concerning Christian unity. Instructions concerning Christian unity. In verse 3 and 4, he says this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. Now here's, here's what we want to look at here. You know, because Paul, what he's not saying here, he's, he's not saying, you know, you know, get into each other's business. He's not saying be a busybody. He's saying, he's saying come together and work together for the glory of God. But he's saying, let me give you some things that are, are truths that you ought to hold on to that will help you to remain unified. And so one of the things that, that I wrote down in, in just studying this passage was this, and I've got three of them I want to give you. But here's the first one. Determine to be a team player. Determine to be a team player. You know, we are in this together. And so with great intentionality, let us each as individuals determine that we are on the same team and that we are working together for what? For the glory of God. Paul says here in this passage, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfish ambition. The greatest enemy to unity this morning, folks, the greatest enemy to unity is pride. It's pride. It's saying, well, I can do it better than they can. It's saying, well, you know, they got this going on over here, but, but I think I'll do it this way. I think I'll do it. You know, it's, it's pride. The greatest enemy to unity within the life of the church is coming to this belief that, you, that we can do it better alone. And that's exactly what the enemy would have us to believe, is that we can do this thing alone. The Bible is clear that we are the body. He is the head. And he is leading us to work and serve together, determined to be a team player. I was recently watching a, a documentary on the Navy SEALs. It was a training. I was considering maybe, you know, quitting as a pastor and going into the Navy SEALs. Um, but I'm not anymore, so you can relax. No. Um, but I was just watching this a few days ago, and it was really incredible because, I mean, these guys are tough. I mean, to begin with, they're tough. There, there's only about 28% of them even make it through the process. But but these are some of the, the best guys in the, in the military that have been brought together. They're strong. And, and they're, 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 in the first week, they're just challenged to do things that they just never have dreamed. Like they're, they're, in their, they're in shorts and a T-shirt, and they're out there in 50-degree water, freezing to death, you know, and just, just trembling and shaking. And then they run in, and they do all these different exercises. Well, one of those exercises is that they come in, and they're, they're in teams of about five to eight people, something like that, and they're brought in, and, and there's this one log. I, I don't know what they call it, Big Bertha or something, but it, it's a big log. and it, I mean, it's huge. It's like a big sequoia or redwood or something from California. But there it is, and it's 480 pounds. And these guys have to come up to this log, and they have to lift this log together. And, and you can see them as they start, and they're, they're each trying to do it you know, in their own strength, and they realize how heavy that thing is. And, and they, they just make a mess of the thing. And finally, the instructor, he comes over and says, guys, if you don't work together, you'll never get it up. And so finally, these guys in, in unison, all together, working together at the same time, in the same way, in the same form and shape and, and, and just procedure, they lift this thing up on their shoulders. And then eventually, he calls them to lift it above their heads. And as they do, he walks away and leaves them standing there with his log. And he says, I'll let you know when you can drop it. You know? So it's just one of those things, one of those exercises. But it was just fascinating to see that even when, when they were trying to do it on their own, they could not even move this log. But in working together, they were able to accomplish what they couldn't on their own. And so here, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Don't try to do this on your own. 
Come together as a church. Come together as a body. Allow Christ to be the head, but you be the body. There are many different parts. It's very diverse, unique in every way we are as individuals. But God has called us together for a unique purpose. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toll. Their toil, excuse me, for their toil. And so two are better than one. If, if God's word is true, and how many of you believe that this morning? Anybody believe that God's word is true? If God's word is true, then here's what it says. It says that two are better than one because they have their reward. And so there, there's great value when we come together as a church. So determined to be a team player. Here's another one. Esteem others with intentional humility. We could also say value other people or honor others who, but, but do so with great humility. Do so with humility. It says here in the passage, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. In other words, don't live a life of self-centeredness. A self-centered spirit is destructive to Christian unity. And so it says here in the passage, you know, let us with humility count others greater than ourselves. 1 Peter 3.8 says this, Finally, all of you have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He speaks of this unity that must exist in the life of the church. I love what Augustine once said. He said these words. He said, if you plan to build a tall house of virtues, you must first lay a deep foundation of unity. Whatever God wants to accomplish in this place, and I know we're a church of multiple services. I know that we're a church of multiple campuses even. But we are one church all working together. And if God wants to continue doing great things, if he wants to continue to build a tall structure, then the foundation of unity must be deep. Amen? So this is one of the things that he's teaching us. And finally, we see this that we are called to ensure support toward the body of Christ, that we are called to ensure support toward the body of Christ. He says here in verse 4, he says, Let each of you not look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. He's, he's not saying, listen, don't be nosy in people's lives. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying get, you know, involve yourself in the business of other people. But he's saying, because you remember, he's speaking about Christian unity here. He's speaking to a local church. He's writing to them, reminding them of this reality that they are in this together. And so he's basically saying this. He's saying, as we're walking forward, as we're moving forward as a, a local body of believers, as we're, continuing to, to, as we're continuing to march forward, then be aware of those around you so that you can come along beside them and ensure that they get the support and the, 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 the things that are necessary to help them to go with you in this vision that God has given you together. And so here he is letting us know, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Be aware of the people that are around you. Be aware of the people in your life and come along beside them that we may work together. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, 9 says this, He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. I love that. I love that. So we are called together in this. We're called to bring glory to God 
unified as one body. You know, in our past, we have always been a church that believed in working together. When we were just a small number of us meeting in a home and, and then moving to the VSU campus and then ultimately moving to a, 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 a small warehouse in Remington, Georgia. When we, when we were going through that as a small body of believers, one of the things that we held together and we, we held on to was this belief that together we could make a difference. We believed that as long as we, we fought for unity in the church and we, we allowed that to be one of the values, core values of our life, that together we could accomplish great things for the kingdom of God, that God would use us mightily as a church. And he has continued to do that. And one of the things I'm so thankful of is in our present state, we still hang on to that unity. We still are a church that values unity together and believing that together we can do a lot. We can accomplish so much. This morning, as I, as I close up, I, I want to use the remaining time to sort of reveal something to you about the future. Because as we continue to look forward in the future, we need to remain together in all that we are. And God will challenge us to take huge steps of faith like he has in the past. And so this morning, I want to use the remaining time and, uh, to, to just basically make a, a little bit of an announcement. But also, at the end of the service, I would like to challenge us all to be people of prayer. You know, three years ago when we launched an initiative called Matters of the Heart, it was, a, it, was a spiritual, it was about a spiritual initiative that we called Horizontal. And we were really talking about things in, in our life, about, about the things, uh, the matters of the heart, the things that, that must take place in here if we're ever going to make a difference out there. And so we launched this series called Matters of the Heart, and we launched a spiritual initiative called Horizontal. And part of that initiative was to also purchase 14 and a half acres of land for a future home. I think we have a picture of the master plan that we presented three years ago. And this, this is an updated plan, but it's really the same, the same master plan that we had back then three years ago. And so we launched this, this spiritual initiative. And we believe that together we can continue to make a difference for a very long time in the life of this church. That God has called us together to do remarkable things in reaching this, this community for Christ Jesus. And so we had that. And when we had this, when we launched this initiative, we always knew that the second phase of this, of this initiative would be to go vertical. In other words, to build a building. And so to go from this to another slide that we have, this, okay? And so we want to take a piece of dirt and we want to do something like this. And so this would be the vertical phase or the phase that was in the future. And we were always wanting to do that. And we, we knew that this would one day become a reality as long as we continue to live for Jesus. And, 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 and God, would, God being the, the provider that he is, he would provide the means for this to take place. Over the last six or eight months, the leadership of this church, and I'm not talking about just me and our staff, I'm talking about key leaders in our church, our shepherding team, those seven men who, who handle the, the budget and many other things, uh, many other aspects of leadership along with us as a staff. Uh, they have been coming along beside us and praying. And our servant leadership team uh, and our life group leaders and their spouses have all been a part of praying with us. And the big question that we were asking God was this. 
God, when is the right time? When would you have us to go vertical? When is, when is it that you would lead us to, to leave an old Winn-Dixie building that, that has served us well and go to a place that is much more permanent and offers so much more stability and the opportunity for generations to come to make disciples? And we begin to realize over the last few months that God was, was revealing to us that the timing is right. And so this morning, I want to present to you this morning that we have plans to move forward with our vertical initiative. And come September the 13th, we're going to launch the vertical initiative. This will be a time where we as a church begin to to get information on, on how we're going to accomplish, well, not that, the other picture that was up there a while ago, how we can accomplish that and how we can move forward and that becoming a reality for the life of this church. Isn't that exciting this morning? Can we praise Jesus for that opportunity to continue to move forward. And so God just being the God that he is, just giving us the, 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 the green light, if you will, to move forward on this project. So I'm looking forward to September the 13th. Now I know that questions always come with something of this magnitude. And so I want to answer one very important question before we leave here this morning. And here's that question. Why build a new building? Two practical reasons why we must build a new building. Here's the first one. First of all, we're in a rented facility. We rent this facility on a daily basis, and, the, and it's not a renewable lease. So in a little, uh, just about two years, we're going to run out of, of time, and we have nowhere to gather collectively. And so we must build a, a, or must move to a, a, a more a permanent facility, and that's just not an option that we have. That's why we purchase the land. But also, another practical reason why we must build is because this is an aging facility. This facility, it, you know, those columns are there for a reason. They're to hold up that, that I'm, I'm kidding. Don't worry about a collapse or anything. I shouldn't have said that. Some of you are like moving away now. But, but this is an older building, and, the, and, and things just don't work like they used to when it was new. The air condition, I noticed some of you, even at the beginning, are fanning. I am sweating so badly right now I can't stand it. But, you know, our air conditioning doesn't work. The roof leaks. I mean, there's just so many issues with this building. How many of you have noticed we have a plumbing issue, you know, on Sunday morning when you try to go to the restroom? So we have these issues, and so... Those are the practical reasons why we must build. But here's the most important reasons. Okay, and these are the spiritual reasons. First of all, we care about our children and we want to provide them a safe and comfortable and clean atmosphere where they can continue to be discipled. Amen? We want to offer that to our children because they are the future generation that will carry on long after we're gone. Okay, so that's one spiritual reason that we, would, we, we need to do this. Another thing is that we value community and collective worship together. We value coming in here. I asked you this morning when we came in here, how many of you are excited about being here? We're excited to be in here because we value coming together as a body and worshiping and, gl- and glorifying God and Jesus as we worship together. The third thing is this, is that we are committed to discipleship and we need a place that fosters spiritual growth. It's not that this place hasn't been, it just won't be available to us any longer. We care about discipleship and we must have a place where we can continue to make disciples because that, my friends, is the single most divine appointment that he has given, that God has given to the church. So we have to have a place that fosters spiritual growth. And then finally, because the vision that God has given us is this, is to continue reaching your community for Christ Jesus. There are still a lot of people in our 
world, in our life, in our community that are living a life of hopelessness because they don't know Jesus Christ. And we are committed to doing this. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be launching this and we're going to be bringing you a lot of details about this campaign, a lot more pictures that you can see as we finalize the plans and all of that stuff. Uh, but the, the, the reality is, is that we're hoping to, to even break ground this fall on this new facility. And so exciting times ahead. Amen. For us as a church. Now you might be saying, well, what next? Well, here they are. Four things I want to challenge you with tonight. Only two more hours and we're done. Hang on. First of all, I want to challenge you starting September 13th to attend the services. We're going to be bringing a lot of information about the new facility and about what the spiritual initiative is. We're going to be challenging ourselves to process, and that's the second thing I want to ask you to do, is to process this initiative. You know, don't draw your own conclusions. Get the facts. Get, your, get the, the questions that you have. Get the answers. Seek the answers to your questions. In a few moments, uh, when we close this service and you leave here, our ushers will be outside these doors, and they have a handout to offer to you, which is a frequently asked questions handout that's going to answer a lot of your questions that you may have even right now. So when you leave here today, be sure and take one of these sheets of paper with you because it answers so many questions. So attend the services and process. Don't draw your own conclusions. Let me just make this announcement as well. This Wednesday night, myself and the other pastors and some of the leaders in our church, we will be here because we want to make sure that you have all your questions answered. So if you have any question, any question at all, and you want to come here and meet us, we'll be here at 6 o'clock here in this place to receive your question and try to be as transparent as we can in this process, and we'll give you everything that we know. Here's the third thing we ask you to do. Join a life group. Get plugged into a small group or a ministry. You know, it's through our life groups and our ministries and our small groups and our D groups, all of these different groups that we have in the church, that we also not only use those as means of discipleship into the church, but we use them also as means of communication. And in those small groups, there will be incredible discussions taking place about the spiritual initiative called Vertical. And so we want to challenge you to do that. And then finally, and I'm, I'm done with this, finally, this morning, I would like to ask us as a church to come together and pray. To come together and pray. Anytime we, we embrace and move forward with a spiritual initiative like this, the church should be faithful in prayer. Together we glorify God. And together if we seek Him in prayer for wisdom and direction, I am confident of this, is that God will continue to give us wisdom and direction and provision for everything that we need in the life of this church. That we, as a church, may continue to reach our community for Christ and make disciples in the King's name. Amen? And so this morning, I want to do this. I want to close with a word of prayer. And while I do that, our band's going to come. And they're going to come and lead us in a time of worship. But I want to challenge every single one of us here today. Leaders, life group leaders, you lead the way in this. But I want to invite you to come to this altar. And I know this altar won't hold us all. But there's an aisle here and there's aisles there. Let us just come in one big act of, of just faithfulness to God. Thanking Him for all He has done in the life of this church. But also petitioning Him 
to continue to lead and guide us and to give us wisdom and understanding as we seek to allow Jesus Christ to be the head of this church. Let us pray. Let us spend time in prayer. Let us seek the Father in these moments, these last few moments that we have together. Before we leave this place today, let us be faithful in prayer. So let me pray. The band will come out, and then as they come and lead, let's respond in faithfulness to prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for bringing us together, and thank you, Father, for establishing in us unity. God, we know that we are unified, and we are unified through this common belief that we have in Christ Jesus as the Prince of Peace. God, as the Lord and Savior of our life, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we worship you this morning. And Father, we thank you for every great thing that we have seen happen in this place and every life that has been changed by the power and the presence of a Holy Spirit that lives among us and in us. And so Father, I pray that today we as the church, hearing a message on on this reality that we are in this together, would come together now in a moment, a special moment of prayer, falling on our faces before you and crying out to you, asking for wisdom and your presence as we continue to move forward. God, as we continue to make plans that we will bring to this church on September the, th- the 13th, God, I pray that you would continue to go before us, that you would lead and direct us, So that as we launch this initiative, it would not merely be just about a building, but about reaching the city for Christ, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, and seeing even the rich of our community come to know Jesus as the hope of their life. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.